We're in Psalm 78 this morning. Psalm 78. Oh boy, there's so much there. Oh, there's so much in the Word of God. Amen? It's just powerful. And I'm looking for my glasses because today I brought my, I brought my Bible that has eight, eight point font. So this thing's falling apart, right? But I got this thing a long time ago. Uh, when I was in, in Bible school, and I still have it. And I'm using it because I'm reading from the New International Version, but it's the 1984 version, which I prefer to the everyone that's newer than that one, but that's another discussion. NIV, and it's, and it's, it's Psalm 78. Listen, children are really important, aren't they? Yes! We have an Amen! Children are really important. They're important to God. I mean, they're they're so important to Jesus that he would not allow his disciples to tell him to blow off the children when they were being brought to him. He said, no way. Let him come to me. He had arms open. He welcomed them. He loved kids. He loved children. There's something powerful about that. And of course, as a church, what we do in our mission and in in our equipping of one another and planning for the future and to, to, to love the world like Jesus loved us and to spread the gospel, we invest in our children. I don't need to repeat what we do, but I will. Because we have VBS. We have School Days Outreach. We have Super Church. We have Sunday School for Children. We have Awana. We have the youth groups. Why? Because we love our children because God loves children. And we invest in them and we spend time and we want to pass on to them what's critical and most important, which is our faith in Christ. Amen? And so, and we're in Psalm 78, and I'm not going to read, it's it's 72 verses, I believe it is, right? 72 verses. We're not going to go through the whole thing. And uh, amen. Praise God for that. But we're going to look at the first eight verses. Because the first eight verses are an introduction to the entire psalm and what's written there. And verses 9 to the end, well, I'll get to that a little bit later. It's a lot of stuff, but it's repetitive, and we'll discuss that later. And so we're in Psalm 78. I'm not going to read the first eight verses now, but follow along. I'll start with the first three verses, and then we'll go in the sections as we go through the message this morning. You know, we all share the responsibility to tell the next generation about the Lord. I know it's Father's Day. We had Mother's Day a month ago. Whether you're a parent or not, and because you're in the body of Christ here, we all have the responsibility to tell and show the next generation about the Lord and who the Lord is. Every one of us. Every one of us. And you'll see that with even how the psalm is written here. But the first three verses follow along with me. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. Oh man, it's, I, I could talk, I, I got to stay on track. You know how I am. Got to stay on track. But there's so much here that it should cut to the heart for us. And I mean, and as I'm preaching, I'm not pretending to be an expert in fatherhood and parenthood, but because I'm a work in progress too. And by God's grace, hopefully I can keep being a better father. All right? Just open, honestly, that's, it, it's, and we all know that. We're, we're not perfect, but God help us. God help me. And so when I'm talking to you, as always, I'm talking to me. And I'm, 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 I'm listening to God through this message for myself. And I, wanna, I want it to hit me home again, too. And 
you know, batter me a little bit so that I can get in shape, you know, for the Lord. The psalm was written by Asaph. You might notice that at the beginning of the psalm at the heading. And it's true. Asaph was both a prophet and a poet, if you didn't know that. And 1 Chronicles chapter 25 tells us that. He was an artist. He was skilled. He was gifted by God to do these things. He was one of King David's three chief musicians in worship. Asaph. The book of 1 Chronicles tells us that he played the cymbals. By the way, Cinder, I told him first service, he left because he was both services. Thanks for banging on those cymbals. It's awesome. I love to hear the drums and praise God. Cymbals are great. It's biblical to bang on the cymbal. To praise God that way. It's so cool. I love it. And, and as one of the Levites, Asaph, he helped to lead the music before the ark in Jerusalem when it was coming in. When it was, the procession was going on. Boy, that's a privilege. That's a powerful thing to be there banging on the cymbals in front of the ark where God's presence rested uh, in that time and it's going through the city into Jerusalem. Unbelievable. And so I want you to notice three things today from, from, this, 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 from Asaph, what he's trying to teach us and tell us. And the first thing, notice in the first three verses, is that he's trying to show us that there is a parable that is worth hearing. There's a parable that's worth listening to. To take heed to, give your ear to. And the first thing he did, and, and, and saw Asaph wrote a number of Psalms, Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 to 83, but he begins this one in a unique manner. He cries out, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. And it's amazing. The way that the tone and the language that's used here is similar and almost identical to what the prophets in the Old Testament did. When they were mouthpieces for God. And so there's a prophetic edge to the tone here in the original language. And he's talking like the prophets with God's people. The Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets speaking to God's people, and they're saying, guys, listen to me. I've got to tell you something from God. Get on track. God loves you. He's merciful and patient. But the prophets were doing that over and over again. But the language is the same. Listen, I've got to tell you something. Pay attention. Hear my people the teaching and listen to the words of my mouth. And the word here means more than just it's more than just hear what I'm saying. Because we all hear a lot of things, right? But Asaph is saying, give ear to me. Listen to me. Be obedient to my words. For example, when a parent says to their child, listen to me, what are they implying? Do as I say. Obey me. Yes? I know I do. Maybe as you're parenting, you don't. I, when I say listen to me, when I have to get to that point... It means obey me. Now, I, it, it's funny because a lot of times, and some of you are familiar with this, I've shared this with you either in person or maybe in a different context, but we would always, my, we still do this, and even now, my mom and dad would tell us to do something, and it's like, oh, whatever, mom. Not whatever, they would say, what I said. See, some of you know it already. Not whatever, what I said. That was their response. And they had it with that little Ukrainian accent that my parents had that I can't replicate, but they had the accent. I could try, but I won't do it justice. Not whatever, what I said. That's what they would say, and it was quick. No, you're going to do what I tell you. Not to give me your whatever, like speak to the hand, the face is busy. No, you're going to do what I tell you. 
And this is kind of the tone here. Listen, give ear, you're going to obey. The implication is you've got to listen and obey. I'm going to give you a parable. I'm going to refer you to a parable that's worth listening to. Pay attention and obey it. And so, for, and, and the word translated teaching here is the Hebrew word Torah. The Hebrew word Torah is the word for teaching in this psalm. And when he talks about, hear my teaching. And this was the Hebrew word for their law. But it could also be used for any authoritative instruction. That's what it is now, the Torah. It's authoritative instruction. The book of the law and all the teachings, the authoritative directives from the rabbis, from God. And when Asaph says, listen to the words of my mouth, the Hebrew language is very descriptive. This is what he's saying. I'm going to give you this imagery. Because it's, we don't get this in when we translate into English from other languages. A lot of things, right? This is what he's saying. Stretch out your ear to my mouth. Stretch it out. I'm pulling my ear. Stretch it out so that you don't miss a word. It connects with my mouth. Every word, every syllable gets in there. Connect it. Stretch it. And it's even more. It's like this. It's like, get those chairs. You're all sitting here. Lean those chairs. Lean forward in your chair and pull them closer. And listen to what I'm saying. Because it's really, really important. Let's huddle up. You've got to hear what I'm saying. You get the picture. You've got to listen to it. You've got to pay attention. Don't miss it. Catch every word. And that's, listen, by the way, that's really good advice. Anytime that God's word is taught or preached. Stretch your ear towards God's Word. Pull in the chair and lean in and listen to what God is saying. And that's what Asaph is doing here. And Asaph is like the military officer who enters a room with something important to say. By the way, I have no experience in the military, but from the little I know and have heard, this is how it is, right? Probably. He has something important to say and he calls everyone to attention. He wants every eye focused on him or her. Every ear soaking in the words. He's got something worth listening to. And that's what Asaph does in this first word. There's a call to attention. It's a parable worth hearing. And you got a, it's a call to listen and obey. And listen, in verse 2, he tells us why we should listen to him so closely. Verse 2. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. A parable is a teaching device. It's a story with a spiritual meaning or application. See, Jesus taught in parables, right? Oh, he taught a lot in parables. He employed that method, and that that means a lot. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew later quotes... This very verse from Psalm 78 as pointing towards Jesus' teaching ministry in Matthew 13 and verse 34. It is, it's amazing. The connection, how the Bible is all woven. It's powerful. That's even there. You'll find Psalm 78 with Jesus' teaching in parables and referencing here. And I will utter hidden things, he says. Listen closely. Why? Because I'm going to tell you a parable. Something hidden. And if you don't listen closely, you're going to miss it. Listen. What is Asaph's parable? What is it? He sets forth the history of Israel as a parable. 
That's what he does. All the entirety of Israel's history is a parable in this psalm. And it's a story with a lesson to be learned. We can learn so much from Israel's history, and that's what he's trying to do here. Verses 1 to 8. The verses that we're looking at today are only the introduction to the psalm, as I mentioned. But the rest of the psalm, Psalm verses 9 to 72, recounts the history of Israel. From their going out of Egypt to their entering into the promised land, all the way to the reign of King David. It's a psalm of instruction demonstrating, get this, get this, from verses 9 to 72, it demonstrates Israel's cycle of unbelief. Over and over and over and over. By the way, don't go there to justify your actions, your sins, or your, when, you, when, you, when you fail in your faithfulness to God, it doesn't mean you won't. God's patient. Don't reference that because we don't have that excuse. Just because, well, Israel did that, God. Who said God wants you to repeat that cycle? We're instructed that we shouldn't repeat that cycle. And so he's saying, pay attention and listen to this parable. Don't be like the people in the parable. But the beautiful part of it is, even though this cycle is horrific and offensive to God, verse 38, it says that God's mercy, forgiveness, and patience was with and upon His people who were His children. God is so good. Asaph says that this extended parable or story teaches us a lesson from of old, he says. In other words, what he's saying is that the application is timeless. It doesn't matter if it was thousands of years ago. It can be applied today right now. It still applies to us. Now, so now we see here that we need to take heed. We need to hear. It's a parable that's worth listening to. But secondly, what's the purpose? What is the purpose of this parable? The things that Asaph wants to teach What is it? The lesson is this. We must pass our faith on to our kids. That's the lesson. You can read it over a hundred times, and that's what you'll see in a nutshell. It's sort of like passing the baton in a relay race. Now, people were laughing. Some of the kids that were in first service, (laughs) they were laughing, and I was wondering why, and they told me afterwards. Because I told them, I said, it's hard to pass the baton. It's hard for me. I tried out for track in seventh grade, like, you know, a long time ago now. That was the only year. And the coach said, well, try this, try that, because I had no idea what I was good at and whatever. And so I, he put me on the relay for, for, for the baton. I don't think I ever passed it on or took it without dropping it or fumbling it. It's hard. It's coord- For me, it is. I know for some of you, it's easy who are experts in track and field and run on the track. That's fine. But it was hard for me. The coordination, the timing, and you're running full speed, and you're... To, to make that transition, to pass the baton. And the kids all in the first row say, oh, I do that, it's so easy. And like, okay, well, for me it's not. <laughs> you know, they thought it was hilarious. But it's hard. And you know what? I told them that I have seen, see, I have watched scenes from previous Olympics. They drop the baton. And when you, here's the lesson. When you drop the baton, it's over. It's 
over. And that's sobering when you make the analogy to the responsibility as parents, as a father that you have, and as a mother, but as a father specifically, to pass this on. When you drop that baton, doesn't mean you can't pick it up. But you know, if you drop it and you don't pick it up and you leave it there, and it's, it's done. You, you, you can't. You're losing time in a race. You lose that time. It's critical that you pass it on when you have to. And, and the, we have a window of time. You know, you know how much time we have? We have our lifetime. We don't know how long it is. But we have a lifetime that can slow motion to pass that on and have them take it. You don't have that in a real race. But life goes fast, doesn't it? Time goes quick. Our life goes on. Pass it on. What you've heard, you've learned, and you lived, pass it on in verses 3 to 6. And verse 3 and 4, they go together like this. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide these things from their children. Asaph wants us to learn the vital importance of passing along our spiritual heritage to our children. He says, we heard these things from our fathers. The reason we know them is that they passed them along to us. Now we must not hide them from our children. The verb hide here in this verse has a very specific meaning. It means to keep something back, to refuse to make something known. When someone was asked to report something, they were often charged not to hide anything. I don't know what's happened to reporting today, by the way. It's similar to asking someone to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth today. That's the concept here. Don't hide it, but dispense it, reveal it, give it all to your children. And Asaph says, we will not neglect to share with our children what we have learned. We will not refuse them what God has commanded for us to share with them and to them. You see, this was a command of God in the early life of Israel. Specifically, Israel's history with God delivering them from Egypt. Do you remember what happened on the night when they had to leave the Passover? They were given instructions. And in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 8, God commanded them to hold a yearly Passover feast. This is what he told them. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me, for them, and for me when I came out of Egypt. In fact, the entire Passover feast was designed as an elaborate teaching ritual. You've been to a Seder meal? We had those here. Oh, you learn. And you learn again. And you do it again. You learn something new. You're learning. You are learning. It's a pointing to who Jesus was and God's plan. It's a powerful thing, but it's a reminder of the great things God did. In the book of Deuteronomy, God commanded the people through Moses in Deuteronomy 4.9, only be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. You see, God commanded us to teach our children. Fathers, in Ephesians 6.4, the Apostle Paul says, Fathers, do not exasperate, exacerbate, exasperate, I'm sorry, exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Don't frustrate them. Don't discourage them. But teach them in the ways of the Lord. 
Train and instruct them in the Lord. But the church's role is also essential. As believers, we're part of this community of faith, and the local church is vital. And it's a local expression of that community, as you know. The church, this is important, the church can never replace the role of the family. Thank you, Dennis. But the family cannot do it alone without the church. Oh, we love to focus on only one or the other. And that can end up in the baton being dropped. Asaph says, What he, we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide these from our children. Our responsibility is not only to be the new, to the new generation, but also to those who have gone before us. They nurtured us so that we might nurture others. Right? And so Asaph's word applied to you, even if you don't have children of your own. What are, what are we supposed to teach our children? What are we supposed to teach our children? We, we, we should, what should we pass on to that next generation? Two things. First, Asaph tells us that we must teach our children the works of God. We must tell them what God has done. Look at verse 4. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Notice, there's a threefold phrase Asaph uses to describe this. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders that He has done. We need to share with our children the wonderful things God has done, praiseworthy things, powerful things, things of wonder. Our children should be awestruck by God's wonderful works. And so should we, for that matter. Share with them God's mighty deeds recorded in the Bible. Share with them about men and women whom God has used mightily throughout history. Share with them personal stories of how God has answered prayer in your life. Share with them the power of what God has done in other people's lives that you know and in your family. Let them see the impact that God has on your faith and everyday struggles and trials because you know what? Stop playing the game. You're not perfect even as a parent. Share it with them that you go to God. And most of all, share with them what God has done through the sending of His Son Jesus to bring us salvation. Amen? Teach your children to praise God for His mighty deeds. It is their heritage. Don't hide it from them. Don't! Secondly, we should share with them not only the works of God, what God has done, but we should also share with them the Word of God, what God has said. Look at verse 5. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Asaph talks about the statutes of God and the law of God. The word statutes is sometimes translated testimony. It refers to God's testimony, not man's. I'll say that again. It refers to the Lord's, to God's testimonies, not man's. And there are plenty of men's testimonies about God, but you need to listen to God's testimony about Himself because it's faithful and true and it doesn't change. It carries the general idea of a warning. God's statutes are His testimony to us of what is good for us And what can harm us? That's pretty important. And law is a more general word encompassing all of God's word to us. And so, we've got to teach our children the works of God 
and the word of God, what he said. His law, his commandments, his warnings, his promises, all of it, we've got to share it. I love verse 6. We're moving along, we're getting there. Notice the long-range vision of verse 6. He commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. How many generations are there right there in that verse? Three going on four. It's a long-term vision. This command requires long-term planning. Love for future generations and complete unselfishness on the part of parents. I can't even say that without, again, just being transparent, feeling convicted. Because we're so selfish. No, I'm not, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And I am too. With my time, my energy, with how many times, uh, I'm not going to do that right now. Nah, we'll play soccer golf tomorrow, Preston. No, nah, we'll do it tomorrow. I'm tired. I'm not my mindset. It, and then the next day goes on. The next day, we do that with all kinds of things, and whatever that might mean in your life. But we're guilty. We're selfish of our time, and I'm tired. Give it up. Sacrifice it. It'll pay off huge dividends in the end. And I got to remind myself of that, that we pass it on and we don't be selfish and spend time with them but how much listen you know we have in our world now and i think it's a good thing to to some degree right it's similar to the environmental concern that we often voice for future generations don't we right we do but how much more important is the spiritual nurture of our children and we can spend so much time on Climate change, on politics, on this issue, on that issue, on social justice, whatever that means anymore, whatever it means to you. And we spend time, and our children are falling by the wayside. And we, I'll give you the evidence of that. It's in our own homes. But the evidence is found in our school committees, on our school boards, and in our government. And you see it all around us. Oh man, spend time, invest in the children. Give them truth. Give them counsel. Live in truth. Don't erase truth. Keep passing it on. And that applies to us and all the other institutions I mentioned. Oh, God have mercy. We've got to pass it on. Finally and quickly. The third thing that we learn here is that th- this is amazing. I mean, what results does Asaph foresee when we actually teach our children in this way? When we provide proper spiritual nurture for them. What is it? Look at verse 7. Then they will put, or would, put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And there's a little bit of struggle here when you hear that, for for even me, but for some of you. That they would put their trust in God, would not forget his deeds, and would keep his commands. See, Asaph lists, and I'll get to that struggle in a second. Asaph lists three benefits in verse 7, which we can expect that our children will reap. First, they'll put their trust in God. This should be our greatest hope for our children. Not that they might graduate at the top of their class. Not that they might become a world-class athlete, because that ain't going to last long, by the way. And someone else will come along, and you won't be a world-class athlete, and your record will be broken, and whatever. Like everything else, right? Doesn't mean you should, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't try it. That's not my point. 
We shouldn't focus on that they get married and they settle down. By the way, be careful about settling down. Because if you, it might be, if you settle down, that maybe, maybe you're not as eternally minded as you think. Because heaven, home isn't here. Home is there. We're going home. So just, there's a fine line, but be careful there. Listen, those things are all nice. They really are. And, if, and, and I'm not suggesting you don't shoot for those things. We should. We do our best, right? We want to excel. We want to represent God. We want to do our best. But, but if, they, if our children do not trust God and put Him first in their lives, then it's all for nothing. Even if they have all those accomplishments and things. It kind of, kind of echoes what Pastor Dan kind of referenced when he preached about legacy a few weeks ago, a couple months ago. You remember that? Same idea. It's all, it's all for nothing. P- listen. Children learn faith from people who practice faith. No, I don't mean just rote and ritual. But they practice faith. They live it. It's alive in their lives. You cannot expect to lead your child any higher in the Christian faith than you are willing to go yourself. Ouch. So put God first in your life. We sing about His kingdom. Demonstrate to your children what it means to trust God in all areas of your life. Model it for them. They'll put their trust in God. Secondly, they'll remember God's deeds. Remember, they will, they will remember God's deeds. Even if they don't live by it, they will remember them. This was Israel's problem. Israel had selective memory when it came to God's works for them. They conveniently forgot God's miraculous deeds on their behalf. And so they forgot all that they owed Him. Charles Spurgeon commented on this verse. This is what he said, that great preacher. Those who forget God's works are sure to fail in their own. I want to read that again. Those who forget God's works are sure to fail in their own. Remembering God's deeds is a wonderful incentive to continue trusting Him, to commit all our ways to Him, to look for His hand at work all around us all the time. Remembering that God is a God of action will spur you on to good works as you allow God to work through you. Nurture your children in the mighty works of God and they will not soon forget them. Thirdly, the benefit is that they will keep God's commands. Teach them the commands of God. Teach them His statutes. Talk to them about the consequences of disobedience. Share with them examples from Scripture. Share from personal experience. Help them to understand the biblical principle that a person reaps what they sow. Explain to them the problem of sin and how none of us can keep God's commands on our own, right? Lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that Jesus can come and live within them through the Holy Spirit and enable and them to live a life of righteousness and peace. The spiritual nurture of our children means we'll forge their faith. It's through careful, loving instruction of the works of God and the Word of God that our children will learn to trust God, to remember His deeds, to keep His commands. And then Asaph says, they will not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. Here's where the struggle is. Because I know, and I know there's some of you, and you know, and you did your darndest with God's help, if I could put it that way. You stayed faithful to God. You taught your children. You modeled it for them. You instructed them. They're doing their own thing. 
and your heart breaks. And your heart breaks. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, but that's supposed to be a benefit. That's supposed to be what happens. If we do this, if we pass it on, this is what's supposed to happen. They're supposed to trust God. They're going to remember God's deeds, and they're going to, they're going to follow His commands. And you're like, well, they, they, they might not trust God. They might remember His commands, and they're definitely not keeping His commands and what He's done. So, and you're broken, and you're like, did I fail? Did, we struggle with that, and a lot of parents struggle with that. Let me tell you something. Some of you... When you're in that situation, you are not modeling for them the very thing you should be modeling and that they should learn from you, and that is to trust God because you're in a place where you're thinking you're going to fix their relationship with God. Back up, back away, and model for them what it means to trust God after you've given them instruction so they'll remember God's word and they'll keep God's commands. You've done your part. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Model it by trusting God to do it in their life, not you. You are not a savior, even if you're a parent who loves your child who wants nothing to do with God. That's hard. It is. I know. I, I've seen it. I've heard it. See, Asaph ends, i got two minutes. Asaph ends his introduction to the psalm with a contrast and a warning. Instead of looking forward to the next generation, he looks back at the past generations in verses 9 to 72. He says that the spiritual nurture of our children will protect our children so that they will not be like their forefathers, whose hearts were not loyal to God and who did not remain faithful. One of the saddest verses in Psalm 78 is verse 9. And I'm going to close with this and I'll watch a brief video. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. I'll read that again. The men of Ephraim, though they were armed with bows, they turned back on the day of battle. Men, I'm talking to me too, fathers, wouldn't it be great if each new generation loved God more, followed God more passionately, praised God more deeply than even we did? It's possible. Because we're armed for that task. God has given us everything that we need. His Word, His instruction, our experiences, His Holy Spirit, past history. He's armed us with faith and all the, the truth that He's given us. I mean, the armor of God in Ephesians 6 and then some. We have a community. We're armed with all kinds of things to defend and protect our children. Just like the men of Ephraim were. And then, we turn back on the day of battle. We get distracted from our, ta our task. I'm tired. I don't have time. It's been a long day. Oh, I don't know. Go figure it out somewhere else. I can't answer that question. I don't know the answer. Go to Google. I don't know the answer. Go to your mom. I don't know. Whatever. We, don't, we, we do that. We, we, we get distracted. And fathers, as we come to a close to our service this morning, you are called. I am called to be a truth learner. And that speaks for itself. You've got to be in the Word. You've got to be learning by yourself. But you've also got to be a truth liver. 
So that what your kids, when your kids look at you, what they see is what they get. And when somebody says, and if can somebody go to think about this? This is let's just think about this. If somebody asked your child, how do you know that your dad's a Christian? What would they say? Well, we go to church on Sunday for an hour and a half. So what? That's important, by the way. But but so what? So what? Because it could just be ritual and just out of routine. So what? You could do a lot of things just out of habit and, that's, and nothing there and there's no heart or soul in it and you're not investing time and you're not engaged. So what? That's, and it's important. But listen, you, you've got to be an example. You've got to be the real deal, authentic. What you've learned, you're living out and now it's visible in your family and in your life. And if you do those things, if you're a truth learner and you're a truth liver, then, you're going, then you are absolutely as a father called then to be a truth teacher. You're called to be a truth teacher. There's no, there's no way around it, biblically. There's no way around it just with the way God has structured the family and, and that, that most fundamental institution in any society. We've got to be truth teachers. Ellen, sorry I called you by name. Let the following video sink in and compel us to continue to be godly fathers devoted to teaching God's truth. You don't know it right now, but I'm watching you. Watching the things you do. I'm watching the way you treat people. The way you treat me and my mom and my sister. The way you live your life is having a big impact on me. When it's time for me to choose a career and provide for my family, your work ethic will be on my mind. The time you spend with me even doing simple things will give me a sense of security. There will be times in my life where I struggle with integrity and I may be not sure what to do. But I will recall how you stood up for what was right even if you could have looked the other way. Many of the choices you are making, I will also make. Please don't be afraid to show me your failures, to show me your mistakes. I will learn from them. Dad, are you listening? I'm watching. Watching to see if you really believe what you say about God. I need you to help show me the way. Show me how to live life that isn't safe, but is good. So I'm watching you, Dad, every day. You're teaching me how to live. Whether you know it or not. 
there's really nothing to add to that. Dad. It's okay. Maybe we need to see it again. You don't know it right now. There's really nothing to add. And so we have a challenge. We have a charge. And we're reminded that we're being watched. Everything you do, everything you don't do, is being watched. And just don't forget that whether you like it or not, whether you agree with me or not, your children will all be a certain form of a mini-me. Let's pray. Lord, take these words, seal them in our hearts. Holy Spirit, work deeply to transform us so that we may be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus, and so that we as fathers would represent you well, teach our children effectively, not by our strength, but your strength. And Father, I pray that we would be mindful that you're a faithful God, you'll never leave us or forsake us, and you've given us everything we need to accomplish the task before us of passing on the truths of our faith. Help us, we ask, and I pray for your blessing, your anointing on every father who's watching, every father who's in this room and in this church family, God. I pray you anoint them, bless them, use them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Father's Day. Walk in God's power. Be a truth teacher. Amen.